Luke chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. You know, some people deserve to be rich. I mean, I'm not talking about just like they've, they've just, they've been through so much junk that they've earned it. I'm talking about like they've got the personality for it. They've got, they, they're hardworking. They're determined. They never quit. They're creative. They look at things in a different light. They're problem solvers. They don't just look at something and see what's wrong. They look at how can I fix it and make it right. They don't just look at something and say, well, it sure would be nice if somebody would. They're like, what can I do to fix this issue? They're, they're, they're risk-taking. They're willing to put themselves on the line to try something new, something different. Those are the kind of people that, that ought to be rich. I mean, they're just, everything about them says that they should succeed. And then there are people that are rich that really shouldn't be rich at all. I mean, they, they, they're not rich because they're hardworking. They're not rich because they're any good for anything. They're just rich because maybe mom and dad had a lot of money or maybe, maybe they just stumbled into stardom or, or they just look so good that, that people just fawn over them anyway, whatever the case may be. It is not proper for foolish people to be rich. Amen? Can we all agree that? Fools should not be rich. Okay? I think we can all agree on that. But what's interesting is that sometimes fools are rich. And Jesus tells us the story. It's a made-up story. But man, does it hit home. Because Man, it fits so many people. He tells us a story about a rich fool. A man who has plenty, but not plenty of sense. Stand with me as we read from God's Word. Luke chapter 12. We're going to read verses 13 through 21 this morning. Luke 12, 13 through 21. This is God's Word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to him, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Pray with me. Father, help us not be rich fools. Help us not be impoverished when it comes to you. Help us be wise. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Yeah, some people, some people should be rich and some people just shouldn't be rich. Jesus is going in his ministry and th- this happens often. Okay. Normally, uh, in our society, we don't have people that just walk around teaching. That, that's just something we don't have. We have professors and we have teachers and classes and we have preachers and we have folks like that who do instruction. We have presentations that people give in corporate business meetings or in um, large conferences. We have things like that. And almost all the time, you, 
you just let the person talk. The only exception to that is probably in politics. That's about the only time when someone is talking that you expect them to be interrupted. Either the State of the Union, where people are standing up praising every two sentences, uh, or, or, whether it's, um, or whether it's just a, a press conference and somebody nearby is yelling at them or screaming because they don't like what they're saying, whatever the case may be. But everywhere else, if you're talking, people are going to be quiet and listen. That's not the way it worked in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, especially with Jesus, as he's going around and as he's teaching and as he's giving these lessons and as he's doing these miracles, people are coming up to him, interrupting him. People are shouting out from the crowd things. People are doing things to get his attention and to try to get his focus turned on them. And that's what we see happen this morning. Jesus is teaching and suddenly someone calls out from the crowd. Verse 13, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Seems a little bit out of place. Especially you, when you consider what he's talking about before. He's talking about being, being on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees. The thing that look, looks holy, but it's really not. It's like yeast. It grows and grows and grows. He says, don't fear those who kill the body. They can't touch the soul. He says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before the Father. And then this guy randomly blurts out, Make him give me the money that I'm supposed to get. Make him give me the inheritance. It's kind of abnormal, isn't it? It doesn't really fit. Sometimes there's a passage where somebody says something and it fits right in line with what Jesus is talking about. This has absolutely nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about. Which tells me this guy ain't listening, first of all. But secondly, it also tells me, it tells me that some things consume you. Some things can get into your heart and capture you and grab your attention and, and you can't focus on anything else because of them. And this is something that is a big enough deal in his life for whatever reason that he blurts it out in front of Jesus and just says, Jesus, make him give me this inheritance. Well, we don't know the situation. We don't know all the details. But what we do know is that there's a family feud going on. And I wish I could say that was uncommon when people die, but unfortunately it's not. Whatever the circumstances, it's bringing out the worst in this relationship. And what does Christ do about it? He says, I ain't getting into this. Boy, that's a good life lesson, huh? That's a sermon for another day. Notice what he says, verse 14. Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? (laughs) Do you see the irony? He is the righteous judge. He is the one, He is the only one who is capable of bringing righteous judgment in every single case. He is the only one who is the judge and is the arbiter of all men. And He refuses to step into this. He could. He would do it right. He says, I'm not your judge. Not not this time. He will be. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ will sit on the great white throne of judgment and He will bring judgment upon men for their actions. There is coming a day where every Christian will stand before God and judge what we have done. The stuff that burns away, the stuff that does not last, the stuff that is that is not for God, that we do out of our own selfish ambitions and desires, the things that we do that don't please Him, that don't build His kingdom, that don't fulfill our purpose for loving Him and worshiping Him and serving Him, those things will vanish away. There is coming a day of judgment. And He will judge. 
but not today. Instead, instead he tells a parable. It's a parable about a rich fool. If I could modernize it just slightly. A guy had a farm and it had a bumper crop for several years in a row. It wasn't just like one time thing. I mean, this was an ongoing thing. And he, he had amassed such a large amount of wealth such a large amount of food and resources. I mean, he, his, he, he couldn't find anywhere to put it. He was trying to get extra room. He was trying to clear out barns so that he would have room to store all of this extra produce, all of this extra harvest that he keeps taking in. But, but he can't. And so he says, well, I guess I'm just going to have to build bigger barns. I guess I'm just going to have to build something to have more room. And then, since he has plenty to work on, he said, I'm taking a vacation permanently. Nothing to do now but sit back, relax, and enjoy the fruits of my labor. The way he figured it, he'd live the rest of his life in luxurious style. Except he didn't have the rest of his life. He didn't even have tomorrow. Through this parable, Jesus shows us a portrait of what a rich fool looks like. There's a couple of characteristics that I see in this man that I think we would do well to take note of and a principle that will help us avoid the trap of being rich fools. You say, well, I'm not rich. I don't have that problem. Uh You can be fool and poor too. First thing I want us to notice, the rich fool spends his effort pursuing possessions. He takes all of his effort and pours it into acquiring wealth, acquiring stuff, acquiring the things that will make him happy. Verse 16, He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. Now notice, we don't know how the rich man became rich. We know that his crop, his his farm, his land produced, but we don't know he's extorting slave labor to make it happen, or if he's out busting his tail from sunlight to sundown every single day. We don't know whether he's coming by it honest or whether he's not coming by it honest. Because in Jesus' mind, how the wealth comes in this case isn't the main point. The main point is what it does to us. Jesus' concern is about the man's response to having the possessions, not just how he got them. Even when wealth comes through honest work, righteous business dealings, there's still a danger that the possessions will possess us, that they'll become the end of what we're working for instead of a means to the true end. This man, somewhere along the way, began to make the treasures of his life his sole focus. That's the first step toward becoming a rich fool. When all you're worried about is getting more, when the stuff you want becomes your central focus, you're treading on muddy ground and you're about to get stuck bogged down in the mire of greed and jealousy. And then, when you do get wealthy, you suddenly find that, well, now it's going to cost you more just to have the wealth. When you buy that house, oh boy, does it fill with junk. If you want to collect junk, all you got to do is get a bigger house. I'm dead serious. You get a big enough house, you think, oh, well, this is room for me. And then a couple years later, you look around at all the junk you have and you say, I don't have enough room. How did that happen? Closets, I don't know if y'all know this, but closets shrink the longer you live in a house. Do y'all know that? What seemed like plenty of room soon becomes crowded and the refrain keeps repeating itself, I need a bigger house. 
Same thing happens with other things too. Cars, boats, four-wheelers. They all cost way more to maintain than they do to get in the first place. You get that garage to put the car in. How many of you have a garage? How many of you, how many of you actually have your cars in the garage? Yeah. Uh, you, one of them? One of them. Okay. Two-car garage, but one car. Right? Don't worry. It, it, I don't have a garage, so I don't have that problem. Um, but I got, I got plenty of problem affording stuff. So if I had a garage, it would be full, but not of cars. Don't think it won't happen. I guarantee you, you will find something that you could always use more of. And I want to be careful because having possessions isn't the problem in and of itself. It's okay to be rich. It's okay. Sometimes it's the blessing of God to be rich. But it's when you don't have possessions. It's when they have you. That's when the issue comes. That's when you're the rich fool. Don't let your stuff own you. Whether it's money, whether it's books, collectibles, toys, grown-up toys, whatever it may be. Don't let your stuff own you. For the rich fool wastes his time, or wastes his, um, spends his effort pursuing possessions. He also wastes his time enjoying pleasures. Look in verse 19. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample good laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's the words of someone who has turned not just from wanting to have more, but who seeks nothing but his own pleasure. You see, this is how it starts. It starts with a desire for more, and as you begin to accumulate more, then you want to enjoy that more. And if, if getting the possessions is your focus, pretty soon that focus shifts to enjoying your possessions. And then it becomes about just fulfilling your desires. It moves from just wanting stuff to wanting happiness. It's the one thing I wish that the framers of the Constitution had thought about a little bit differently, had written a little bit differently, that pursuit of happiness thing, because the problem is that so many of us, especially here in the West, are, are, are focused only on what makes us happy. We're only pursuing things that will bring us happiness. We think, got to have more of this, and so it becomes our all-consuming passion. It becomes our idol. We only want what makes us feel good. That's why obesity is a problem. That's why pain relievers and becoming addicted to them is a problem. Because people are seeking pleasure rather than God. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who does drugs is only seeking pleasure. Some are just seeking relief from pain. Some are just seeking a way to not like they can't do anything anymore. I understand that. But at the same time, when the pleasure of life becomes your all-consuming passion, when it's the only thing you want, and it's the only thing you have your eyes on, if that is you, you are a rich fool. Because you cannot make yourself happy for very long. It is a constant pursuit. Oh, you can be happy today. You can be happy for a little while. But happiness doesn't last. And if all you're doing is looking for what makes you happy, you are in a never-ending search for something you cannot achieve. It's bad. It's not bad to enjoy the fruits of your labor, but it's bad to want to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Those desires for pleasure and the possessions that you try to fill them with, those become your gods. That's what you're worshiping. And there's only, there's only one God who's worth worshiping. They're not worth it. 
Don't be a rich fool. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Not just seeking pleasure. Third, the rich fool misuses his life forgetting God. Look in verses 20 and 21. And he just said, I got plenty for lots of time to come, so I'm just going to enjoy it all. And God says, fool. You're a fool. You see, what was missing from this man's life? It was God Himself. You see, in the passionate pursuit of possessions and, and, and the, the, the seeking for satisfaction in desires fulfilled, this man had lost the only thing that could bring satisfaction, the only thing that could make him whole, the only thing that could bring him genuine happiness and joy that lasts far beyond the medial circumstances of the day. Let me tell you something. When you forget God, you are excluding yourself from everything that you are meant to be, everything you are meant to have. It's like cutting off your legs and then trying to run a race. It just doesn't work. The rich fool misuses his life because he forgets God. Fool, this night your soul is required of you. What this man had forgotten was the God that made him, who loved him, who custom designed him for worship. Even, even though he thought he was rich, he was really spiritually in abject poverty. He's a beggar. And today's the day He's going to meet His Maker. When we come to that day, that day of judgment before God, He will not ask what we have brought with us. It's, it's cliche, I know, but it's true. You can't take it with you. No matter what it is, you can't take it with you. Everything this man had been working for, had been planning to enjoy for decades, he died and left every single bit of it. Funny thing, ancient Egyptians especially, wealthy Egyptians, pharaohs and high officials and and men and women of, of great wealth, they would stock their tombs full of their treasures to take it with them. And you know what's amazing? Robbers have gotten most of their treasures. The ones that are found, there's, there's some that are in museums. Some that, that historians and archaeologists have recovered and put on display. You could go to various museums around the world and you can see them. But most of it just fell into the hands of robbers. People, people came in, raided tombs, but didn't take it with them. Neither did the robbers, by the way. See, part of the danger of letting possessions own you is that they're temporary. They're not permanent. Why do we spend so much effort acquiring something we don't get to keep anyway? I mean, we live what? Man's life is but a vapor, a breath. And we try to get all the stuff we possibly can, and then, and then at the very end, and I'll get left to someone else who's going to fight over it and ask Jesus, give me the inheritance. Make my brother give me what I deserve. That's a rich fool right there. So how do we avoid this trap? How do we not be rich fools? Guard your heart. Guard your heart against overvaluing treasures. That's how, that's how you avoid being a rich fool. Verse 15. And he them, this is going back up. He's, he, he tells the parable after this. But here is the principle that he's illustrating in the parable. And here is the answer to this guy's cry for Jesus to make him, make his brother give him the inheritance. This is how Jesus addresses that situation. First of all, who made me the judge over you? But then he says this, and he said to them, take care. Be very careful. Watch your step. And be on your guard. 
Don't let it capture you. Because the fact of the matter is, if you're not actively guarding against covetousness, if you're not actively setting up a defense against greed and against jealousy and against covetousness, what will happen is it will invade you and it will overrun you. This isn't something you choose to do. It's not that you stand at the door of wanting something or not wanting something and say, I think I'm going to go through the wanting something door. No, the want comes on you. And it's our job defensively to set up a perimeter around our hearts so that when it tries to attack, we have an able to cut it off at the pass. We have a helmet of salvation that helps us focus our mind on the things of God and not the things of the world. We have a shield of faith to guard us from the fiery darts that would hit us and burn us alive. We have a breastplate of righteousness that would protect our hearts from the evil that is constantly attacking, constantly seeking to overwhelm. We have a belt of truth that keeps our pants on and keeps us from exposing ourselves and endangering ourselves by putting us in a bad position. We have the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace that guide our footsteps so that everywhere we go, we are taking the gospel with us. Almost all of the armor of God is defensive because we need to take guard. We need to take very good care of how we live, how we walk, how we think, how we talk, how we do, how we are. Be very careful. Guard against all covetousness. It's interesting to me. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. And it's the one with the most detail. He doesn't just say, thou shalt not covet, generally. He gives examples. I didn't put this in the slideshow, but Exodus chapter 20 gives those Ten Commandments. Listen, listen to this one. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his, female, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. God said, this is such a problem, I'm going to have to give them concrete examples so that they know that I'm not just talking about this or that or the other thing, that I'm, that I'm being exhaustive. Don't covet what he has. Don't covet who he has. The relationships he has. Don't covet his position of authority. Don't covet the wealth, the treasure that he's amassed. Don't covet anything. Be on your guard. Guard your heart. And then he gives the reason for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The problem of coveting is that we misvalue our stuff. We put too much stock in our possessions and we end up losing everything. If I were to offer you a stock investment, great deal, terrific price, it's only 10 bucks a share, and then I told you eventually its value is zero, how many of you want to invest? Yes. That's exactly what putting your life into the abundance of possession is. It's investing in something that will eventually lose all its value. Life ain't about stuff, folks. Whether we have it or just want it. Life is so much more than that. This morning, the rich fool reminds us to examine our hearts. Are we pursuing possession? Are we only seeking to satisfy our desires? Are we worshiping something other than the true God? And just Patsy comes and then come to sing an invitation hymn. I'm going to invite you to examine your heart. I'm going to be up here at the front. If you need some help, 
Maybe you've been giving your life to possessions and it's time, it's time that the, you take the reins back and you give them to one who's worth. Maybe you've heard the gospel before. You've heard about how Jesus Christ came. It's God in human flesh came to earth, lived a perfect life, died for your sins so that you could receive His righteousness. Maybe you've heard that before and you've never given your heart to Christ. Jesus Christ makes a whole lot better God than possessions. If you've given your life over to something else and not to Him, I'm going to be up here at the front. I'd love to help you know how to make true God your God. If maybe this morning you just you need some help. You're a follower of Jesus. You're trying to serve Him. But man, the possessions are just... They keep coming. They keep attacking. They keep trying to grab a hold of your heart and rule over you. I'd love to pray with you and help you. I'm going to be down here. If you're fighting this fight, and you're in need of a church home. You're in need of a place where you can fellowship with other believers. Fight, same fight. Join with them in service and worship. This is a really good one. And if God's leading you here, we'd love to have you. Whatever the case may be, I'm going to let him do the heart pricking. But whatever, whatever he's doing, you follow his will. Let him have control. Father, I pray in this time that you would own us. That we would be your unique possession that we wouldn't strive to own more to gather more to please our own desires that we would not be rich fools father we would trust you and let you be in control this is your time do your work in christ's name amen